You know, the first century was very much like this century. Uh, Paul was a very sports-minded guy. Uh, oftentimes in his epistles, he uses these figures, these allusions, metaphors uh, in his writing that pertain to the athletic world. Uh, things like, he says in 1 Corinthians, he says, I, I don't run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. He said, I'm not shadow boxing. Uh, in, in Ephesians, he wrote, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And so throughout his epistles, we find these figures from the sports world. And I believe that if he wrote this, or whoever wrote it, the author is definitely talking about the sports world because he utilizes this metaphor of the great athletic contests of that particular time. They had three major games in that day. They had the Olympic Games, uh, like you know we still have today, uh, that were held on Mount Olympus. They had the Isthmus Games, which were held in Corinth, and then they had the Pantheon Games in Delphi. And these were great games. I mean, these were like equivalent to our Super Bowl, right? The Super Bowl's coming up, and I know some of you could care less, but some of us kind of enjoy that kind of a thing. This was like the Super Bowl for them, or the, the World Series, or the NBA Finals. These were a big, big deal. People got excited about these games, and the stadiums were huge. I mean, uh, we find evidence of, of uh, stadiums as long as six times a regular football field. Six times in length of a regular football field. Multiplied tens of thousands of people would pack into those stadiums. And athletes would come from far and near. Many of them would stay in tents, uh, which led, have led some to believe, you know, Paul was a tent maker that... This was his way that he was part of these games. He was a tent maker, and, and so there's a good chance that he, was at, he, he would go to these games and he would make tents and, and provide shelter in that way as well as an income for himself. There were all kinds of races. Uh, they'd have things like the javelin throw and the discus and wrestling and boxing and chariot races. Would you like to see a good old-fashioned chariot race, you know? Um, uh, foot races, and, and even some of the events that we still have today. The noblest citizens of the land were chosen to be judges. And they would sit, the judges would sit on this small throne, and they would dress in purple, and they would start the race, and they would judge the winners. And the winner of these Olympic Games, or whatever games they might have been, they were the most popular figure of that day. These were the, I mean, like today, athletes, the star power that, that many of these athlete, athletes have, right? The, the, the winner of the Olympic Games, the, these people became idols to the people. Why? Because these athletes, they would train and they would train hard. Uh, they, they held a very rigorous schedule, a, a very disciplined. They would exercise day after day. They would hone their skills and they would even go through certain religious rituals. Did you, did you know that that? In those days, religion was tied up in their athletics and how they pertained uh, to the Olympic Games. Rigorous discipline. 
they would deny themselves of, of many different pleasures. And so they got themselves ready mentally, physically, spiritually. And then they would come to the field and there would be thousands of spectators there filling the bleachers. And the citizens of Greece or, or Corinth uh, or, or, or Rome, they would flock into these games. And what would happen was the athletes would go to one end of the field where there was this altar that was flowing with blood. And they would bathe their hands in that blood to symbolize their sincerity of purpose. And they would then be questioned as to whether or not they kept the rules. Were they, uh, were, were they true to, their, to, the, to the rules that were set for their disciplines, for their uh, preparing for the games? Did they follow all the rules to get there? And would they follow the rules all the way through the contest? So, when the time came for the race to begin, in that moment, nothing else mattered. Nothing. Nothing. They fixed their eyes on the goal. Well, the writer of Hebrews, he's using those games as background. He's using a metaphor, a picture, an illusion of, of something they could identify with, something that they understood, something that they had, many of them had actually attended, and he's making a spiritual application. He's taking that figure and he's applying it to those of us who are Christians. Now, this isn't a physical race that we're going to be talking about. Thank God for that, right? Because some of us would be saying, Pastor Dave, if you're expecting me to go out of here and run a race, you're sadly mistaken. We're not talking about a physical race, of course. We're talking about running a spiritual race. And every one of us who are believers, every one of us who confess faith in Jesus Christ, listen, we are all included in this race. We're all in the race. Now, we each have our own race to run. You can't run my race and I can't run your race. We can't go back and run last year's race, right? We have a new year, and we have, therefore, a new race. Maybe you could say a new segment of the race, a new uh, lap, you know, the 2024 lap of this race, the Christian race that we are in in life. And so the beginning of a new year is like the starting line of a race. And Hebrews chapter 12 begins by issuing us this challenge. To every one of us who are believers that we would run our race well. That we wouldn't allow distractions to deter us. That we would run our race and finish the course that God sets before us. And so we all have a race to run this year. And our race is individually designed. It's prepared just for you. But listen, we're all in this race, but we're not in competition with one another. Amen? How many of you are you're competitive? Boy, we had a good time at Scott's house last Saturday night. We played catchphrase. 
and I could just, I could pick out who around the table was competitive. And we love, we love, do you, how many of you love games? Okay, everybody who raised their hand, game night coming up. Be there or be square. Coming back to Scott's house, we're going to play some more games, all right? Or you can come to my house or something. We, don't, we won't invite ourselves over to Scott's house. But, but let's, if, if you're a competitive, you like to play games, I love to play games, let's do it. But listen, when it comes to the Christian race, we're not in competition. Our job is not to outrun one another. My job isn't to outrun you. Your job isn't to outrun or overrun me. My job isn't to run your race. Your job isn't to run my race, my course. That's not what we're called to do here. It's not to see who finishes first. It's not what this race is all about. Everyone who finishes life in faith are winners. We can all win this race. Listen. My job and your job is to run for Jesus. Run for him. He's planned, the plan that he has for us, the course that that God sets before us, our job is to run that race to the best of our ability. See, age doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how long you've been saved. It doesn't matter really what happened in last year's race. Maybe, maybe you fell apart last year in the race somewhere and you fell down and, and it was just a, a nightmare of a race. Listen, that, that doesn't matter really. We're talking about this race, this lap of the race, if you will. The best thing that we can do is simply to run our race to the best of our God-given ability and not get sidetracked somewhere along the way, but to keep our eyes fixed on the goal. And that's the big idea tonight. Simply, that life with Christ is like a race in which we must maintain our focus on Jesus. And so I want to encourage you in 2024 to walk as a Christian ought to walk, to run as a Christian ought to run, to battle as a Christian ought, Ought to battle. And so I think that Paul gives us here some things that are required of us if we're going to do that. So I hope that this helps us tonight. Number one, and it's here on the screen. Number one, if we're going to run this race and run it well, we have to first of all detect anything that deters our focus. Do you see there in verse number one? He talks about, he says, let us lay aside every hindrance. And the sin that so easily ensnares us. You know, once a runner starts the race, the runner must not allow themselves to be distracted. Right? I mean, looking around this way and looking around that way, looking backwards, right? The runner needs to keep his attention focused on the goal, right? Concentrating on the present, not what happened last race or what's going to happen next week, to stay present in the moment and to focus on the goal. That's first and foremost. They need to detect anything that would deter their focus. And so for Christians, there are some things that, that the author tells us here that can deter our focus. What are they? Well, there's hindrances, first of all. Hindrances that slow you down hindrances that slow you down i mean think about that i mean i'm not an experienced runner 
but common sense would tell us, would teach us that, that if you're going to run a race, you need to get rid of any unnecessary weight, right? Can, can you imagine a runner showing up to run a marathon and he's got his suitcase with him? He's at the starting line. He's got his luggage, you know, his carry-on bag. He's got his backpack on his back. He's got one of those big double-wide, you know, those huge trunk things. And he's just brought, he's got his tent in there. He's got a sleeping bag, you know. He's got it all. And he's, and he's, he's at the starting line as if he's going to take this thing to the end. I mean, isn't this, what, ladies, what you would do, right? You're going to need your makeup at the end of the race. How's it going to get there if you don't take it, you know? Uh, how many of you ladies pack like this? Everything in the kitchen sink, it goes, you know? Uh, we, go, we love to go camping, and, you know, you fill a small trailer with stuff. We got everything in there, man. If, we, if we're going to need it, it's in there, you know? Can you imagine trying to run a race with your luggage and all your stuff? Well, that obviously would hinder you from reaching the goal. Well, so it is in the Christian life. Church, there are things that will hinder us. There are some, some common hindrances. Let me give you a couple thoughts here. A couple common hindrances. First of all, we can focus on the past. That can be a hindrance. Right? Past failures. How that can slow us down in the race if all we're thinking about is what a miserable failure we were in 2023. 2022. Right? How awful last year was. And all we do is we... we if we bring that baggage into 2024, it's a weight. It's just a hindrance that's going to slow us down. Not only past failures, but past successes can be just as hindering, can't they? Right? I mean, maybe we were the champion last year. You know, you, there's this, uh, well, I don't remember what this show was. It was a barbecue. We were watching something the other night. It was a barbecue tournament kind of championship thing that they were doing i think in the hills of tennessee maybe you've seen this this reality show and i love barbecues and so i'm like let's watch this thing you know the guy who won the first night was like last place on the second night there's something about winning that gets in our head you know and it kind of messes with our thinking in the next competition so the past we have to let the past go we have to let the past be the past. Don't live <coughs> 2024 in the past. It'll hinder you. I think another hindrance is by focusing on pain. Our pain. I don't necessarily mean physical, though it could be that. But some pain that we have, emotional pain, that we have experienced in the past. Maybe we've been hurt. Maybe we've been let down, maybe someone failed us, maybe whatever that hurt is, if we carry that along as baggage in our life, man, that is a weight, that is a hindrance that can slow us down. I mean, there are folks who have been hurt by the church and they're, no, they're not in the race anymore simply because somehow someone somewhere along the line hurt them and it just got, they just, I'm not in the race. I'm out of the race. I'm checking out. Don't, let, don't allow that to happen to you. We all experience pain. The, the sad truth is there's more pain coming in life. 
But we got to recognize that if we're going to carry it with us, it's going to hinder us. I think another common hindrance is focusing on pleasure. What do I mean? Well, just what makes me happy? We, we, can, we can live our life so focused on trying to chase whatever we think is going to make us happy, and it becomes this hindrance, this weight in our life. Some, some comfort, some pleasure, some, something that we think satisfying, you know, something that makes us feel good, and we can chase that thing, and it can slow us down and hinder us from making progress in the race that God puts before us. I think another common hindrance is being focused on pursuit. So the past pain Pleasure and pursuits, right? How many pursuits? How many things? Relationship. The pursuit of a relationship can slow a Christian down from running the race well. Now, I'm not talking about pursue a relationship with your kids or your spouse or your grandkids or whoever. I'm talking about where, where a rela- having a relationship becomes like more important than following Jesus more important than walking with God, where that becomes the pursuit in our life. Material things, career achievements, being somebody, getting what we want. These are all hindrances that can slow us down and hinder our spiritual progress. Is it wrong to have goals? No. In fact, we're not necessarily talking about things that are wrong in and of themselves. Do you realize that there are Some things in life that are not necessarily wrong, but they're wrong for you, they're wrong for me because of what they do, how they affect us in our walk with Christ, in our race. I'm not talking about anything that's immoral. I'm not talking about anything that's illegal. I'm just talking about good things can be a distraction. Paul says this, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is what? Do you see it? <coughs> not everything is beneficial. There's a lot of things that are permissible that we could, you, you could do, but if it hinders you in your walk with Christ... I think that we could say it's a hindrance and it's just going to slow you down. It's going to hinder your progress in your walk with Christ. So I ask you, can you think of anything right now? Can you think of anything that hinders your ability to just walk with Jesus consistently and to grow spiritually in your life? Whatever that is, good, bad, or indifferent, whatever that is, recognize that is a hindrance that You need to consider laying aside out of your life so that you can run the race with endurance. Good things become bad things when they keep us from the best things. Right? Good things become bad things when they keep us from the best things. Now be careful here. Be careful. Because this is where legalism can jump into the mix. Right? And we can start thinking about what's a hindrance to me and what I shouldn't take, what I shouldn't be doing in my life or participating simply because it would be a hindrance to me. And not, when we start projecting on other people and saying, well, I don't do that, so you probably shouldn't do it either. <laughs> you know? 
It's not good for me. It must, so it's not good for anybody else. We, we have to be careful that we don't start projecting our hindrances on other people because there may be some things that just aren't a hindrance to, to a brother in Christ. That's a complete hindrance in your own life. Are you following me? Are you tracking with me? Right? Is there something like that in your life? life? Life would be so much simpler if it was always a choice between good and bad, but it's not. It's really a choice between good and best. Good and best. So evaluate that. Ask God to show you anything that's hindering your walk with Christ. So there's hindrances that, that slow you down, and then he talks about sins that trip us up. He says the sin that so easily ensnares you, and he's referring to sins that, that cling to us, that distract us, that entangle us, that trip us up. And there are a lot of different sins that could be mentioned right here at this point. But listen, the idea in this verse is that particular sin that trips you up. Sometimes we call it a besetting sin because... It's a sin that continually besets us. It's always with us. It's always on watch for us. And it just entangles us. It trips us up seemingly on a regular basis. It's that sin that holds onto your mind. It's the one that you most often fall to. You most often offend God because of that particular sin. It's where you're weakest. It's that sin that most hinders your walk with the Lord. And so, no particular sin is identified here, but it's understood that we're to identify whatever that sin is in our own personal life. And so, think about 2023 for a minute. Was there a particular sin that just seemed like it had your number time and time again? That's the sin that Paul is talking about here. That's the sin. If we're going to run well in 2024, we would be wise to identify those hindrances that slow us down, those sins that trip us up, and deters our focus weighs us down, and do what? Number two is to then discard everything that hinders our progress. Look what the author says here. He says, keeping our eyes. Keeping our eyes. You see it there? Verse two, that's how it begins. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. Those three words translated from one Greek word, keeping our eyes, indicates the action of a, of a runner who is aware of rival attractions. He's aware that there are distractions and he deliberately looks away, right? That's wrapped up in that word, keeping our eyes. It's recognizing the distraction and focusing where he needs to focus, but looking away, looking away. What does he say? Lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. What is he saying? He's saying that we are to rid it from our lives. That hindrance, that weight, it's not necessarily wrong, but it 
slows you down and that sin that trips you up, Paul says, lay it aside. Lay it aside. Repent of that sin. Let it go. Let go of that hindrance. And so, church, tonight, if the Lord has revealed some hindrance or some sin, this is what we're to do with it. We're to recognize that it will impede our spiritual progress in the new year if we don't deal with that first. We can just carry those hindrances into the new year, into the new race. We can bring those sins right into the new year, into the new race. And what will it do? It'll hinder us and trip us up and cause us in our race this year to either not go where God wants us to go or to get distracted, to get off the trail, to go our own direction. I mean, so many different things can happen when we bring those with us into the new year. So he says, lay it aside. Will you confess that besetting sin? Sometimes it's that very sin that we are most unwilling to confess, isn't it? Right? It's our pet sin. We don't want to give that thing up. And it can be... It can, it can just keep us up at night and just terrify us in our hearts when we stop and think about it. But yet it, is, it can be so difficult for us to, to just simply admit it, recognize it, and confess it to the Lord. But we need to see it for what it is, and we need to deal with it for what it is. Listen, deal with sin the same way sin would deal with you. How does sin deal with us? Is sin kind to our <laughs> Sin is not kind. Sin is destructive, man. Sin has no mercy. When we allow sin into our life, man, it's, it, it throws everything up into an upheaval in our life, right? I mean, it, it's just destructive in one way and another. It's something that brings chaos into our life. Sin is not our friend. And we need to be as ruthless with our sin as sin is ruthless with us recognizing that if we don't deal with it, if we don't rid ourselves of it, if we don't lay it aside, it's going to entangle us. It's going to trip us up. It's going to cause us to fall. And it's going to may possibly prevent us from fi- finishing the race that Jesus has before us. And here's what I want to encourage you tonight. I want you to know this. Besetting sins can be overcome. They can be. devil wants you to think, I got your number on this one. You ain't giving this up. And maybe you have confessed it and you've failed it time and time again and you feel like, man, there's no way I'm ever going to. I want you to know something. Besetting sins, they can be overcome. Pray for God, for his help. Pray for his victory over that sin. Confess that thing and then begin praying every day. God, would you give me victory over this? I don't want to live this way. I don't want to do this. I I don't want to offend you. I don't want to do what I know is wrong. I want to begin to pray over that each and every day and ask God for his help with it. And then walk in the spirit of God. Galatians 5 we walk in the spirit we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh go to galatians 5 meditate on galatians 5 believe galatians chapter 5 and practice galatians 5 walking in the spirit and when you walk in the spirit you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh besetting sin for a christian is simply us giving ourselves to sin we don't have to give ourselves to sin but we often choose to 
And with a besetting sin, it becomes a, a habit, a pattern in our life. So, so what is he saying? He's saying rid yourself of it. The second word to write down here is to repeat. Rid and repeat. Repeat. Why? Because laying aside sin isn't a one-time thing. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm not talking about confessing. I'm talking about when you confess a sin and you rid, rid it from your life, you lay it aside, there's a good chance that you're going to have to do that again. <laughs> and probably again and again. But don't be discouraged. Laying off sin, it's, it's actually an acquired skill that you acquire through constant practice, through laying it aside and laying it aside again and laying it aside again. And that's what I want to encourage. Don't be discouraged when that besetting sin, man. It just taunts you. Just keep laying every, lay it aside. Lay it aside. Lay it aside again. The temptation comes, lay it aside. Ask God for help. Lay it aside. You fall, confess it, lay it aside, and go on. Rid, repeat, why? So that you can run. What does he say? So that you can run with endurance the race that is set before us. Well, you know what Paul's implying here? He is implying that our endurance in the race depends on us laying aside these hindrances and these sins. Could you run farther with or without a 50-pound backpack on your shoulders? With or without? Well, obviously without, right? Some of you say, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't run over, I couldn't run to the wall without it. But, I mean, imagine the difference between a 50-pound pack on your back and no pack on your back. Uh, several years ago, we hiked down into the canyon. We, we camped down at Phantom Ranch <coughs> at the bottom of the canyon. And I'm telling you what, we had 50-pound packs on our back. <laughs> Let me tell you something. We were sore. And when we hiked out of that canyon, oh, my goodness. That was, it, that was terrible. I mean, there are, people who, there, are, there are people who day pack. You know what a day pack is? They just take a little fanny pack or something or a very light backpack with nothing but you know, food like chips, some salty calories that can, your body can just take and transfer right into energy, right? But there's a difference between a day packer and a backpacker. 50 pounds versus one or two pounds makes a huge difference, right? Well, our endurance, our ability to get from January to December and right on through, it, it requires us, if we're going to have the endurance to finish this race in these evil days, we must lay aside the weights and the sin so that we have the endurance to be able to go on day after day after day. So, what are the steps? First, it's to detect those hindrances, those sins, and then to discard them. And then the third step here is to then direct our focus on Jesus, right? Isn't this what the passage says? Lay it aside. Know what they are. Lay them aside. And then keep your eyes on Jesus, 
the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, you think about some of the great movies about some of the great athletes like Rocky Balboa, you know. Can you, can you, you've seen that movie, Rocky, right? And you can picture him training, you know, running those steps in, in Phila, the Philadelphia winter and drinking the raw eggs to build his muscle, right? Remember uh, Rudy in, in that movie, Rudy, in, uh, Rudy right, that played for Notre Dame, you know? You think about those, those great athletes, the, the mental clarity, the determination, right? The, the focus on the goal. Well, Paul calls us here to fix our eyes on Jesus, right? He's the goal. We're to use Jesus as our focal point. So what is he saying? I'll give you a couple ideas and we'll be done. Well, he's saying this. Direct your focus on a person, on his person, on Jesus Christ himself. Why? Well, he mentions here first that he's the pioneer of our faith. He's the pioneer, and he's the perfecter. He's the beginner and the, the ender of it. He's the one who, who pioneered it. It's because of him, him enduring the cross, him going to the cross, right? It was because of Jesus that we have the faith that we have, the salvation that we have. And I believe what the author is encouraging us to do here is as we keep our eyes on him, we're to consider his race. We're to remember that that his race was a hard race. I mean, let's remember that. Think about how hard life can be for us at times. Right? Life, life can be hard. We don't know what we're going to face this year, but we need to remember that Jesus knows what that is. When he ran his race, he ran a hard race. A race that began in poverty and ended in the pain on a cross. His race was one that led him around a track lined with hatred, bitterness, people who wanted to kill him, they desired to see him dead. The race that Jesus ran, when he ran, he set the perfect example of how we should run our race. He ran his race, and he ran his race well. He had his eye on the goal. To seek and to save the lost, right? And he paid the ultimate price. How did he do that? Well, he says here, with joy. He ran his race with joy. He never lost sight of the goal. He never faltered. He never quit running until the goal had been achieved. And he finished the course that was laid out before him. And now he stands as the supreme champion, the example for us. And so we're to fix our eyes on him. Life is hard. And when, when your life, when you, when, when you feel like just giving up, put, recognize, I need to look to Jesus. I need to remember the race that, that he ran. So we consider his race as we lock our eyes on him. We also consider his reasons. It says here that Jesus ran for the joy that was laid before him. The joy of what? Dying on a cross? That sounds joyful. Anybody want to sign up for that, that bucket of joy? The joy of 
dying like a common criminal? The joy of being rejected by the people that you love? Listen, for Jesus, the joy was in what would happen when he finished his race. Right? If you've ever run a race, if you've ever been in a competition, right, you, you, you block out the pain. <laughs> when your body's telling you, stop running and sit down. Give this up. Why are you putting yourself to this pain? They, the athlete blocks that out of their mind, and they look to the goal and the joy of winning that race. And that's exactly what we're to do. We're to look past the pain. We're to look past the, the suffering and, and all the chaos in the world that we live. And we're not to be distracted by those things. We're to keep our eyes on Jesus. Jesus ran. For the joy of what? Us being redeemed? A new heaven, a new earth? He ran for the joy of sin being destroyed forever? He ran for the joy of Satan forever being banished? He ran for the joy of perfect righteousness ruling in every heart? That day is coming? That's why Jesus ran. He looked past the cross and he was able to despise the shame he was able to think beyond everything that he would be called upon to face in this world and he was able to see you jesus ran his race for you and for me we all need to come to the place where we are able to look beyond the situations and the circumstances of life and envision the day when we too will be home with him. And when we look at Jesus and we keep our eyes on him, it helps us to always remember that. He ran his race for the joy that was set before him. And when we, when we run with him as our focus, we can run with the joy of knowing that we will be with him for all eternity and all of this will be behind us. Consider his race. Consider his reasons, the joy that was set before him. Consider his reward. What does he say here? He says he sat down at the right hand of the throne of of God. You see, Jesus knew where he was headed. He, as he ran his race, he knew how all of that was going to shake out. He knew that. And he ran. And God exalted him. It was a matter of perspective, and it's always a matter of perspective for us as well. We need to have that heavenly vision. It makes the race more, more, more bearable, doesn't it? When we have that heavenly vision of what is to come, the reward that is before. So in looking to Jesus, what do we learn? Well, we learn that there's a striking contrast between our character and his, right? First glimpse we get of him makes us feel the extent of our sinfulness, our unlikeness to him. But also as we look to Jesus, we learn the full provision of, of what he did for us, the provision that he made for us to save us from our sin, to redeem us, to remove all of these imperfections in us as the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. We learn that from him as we look at him. And we also learn as we look at him, we see a model of how we're to run our race. We see in him a doer of the Father's will. And what do we learn by that? 
We learn to do God's will as he did God's will. When we look at Jesus, we, we see in him a willing sufferer for others, and we learn to willingly suffer. I don't like to suffer. Do you? But when we look at Jesus, we learn to willingly suffer as he did. We see in him a man that pleased not himself. And so what do we learn? We learn not to live to please ourselves. As we look to Jesus, we see a pattern of, of meekness and gentleness and kindness and submissiveness and, and gentleness, right? We, we see that. And what are we learning? We're learning to be meek. We're learning to be gentle. We're learning to be submissive. We're learning to be kind. We're learning to be humble. As we lock our eyes on him. He's the pioneer. He's the perfecter of our faith. Paul wrote, the one who started the good work in us, he is going to carry it on to completion. Amen? It's good. He's going to see the thing through. He's the perfecter of it. Church, listen. The devil would love to get you looking at him. Some folks, don't, don't be the kind of person that is always looking for the devil, what he's doing. Don't be that person that sees the devil behind every bad thing. Now, is the devil behind all the evil in the world? Yep, he is. But I think that we have to be careful that we don't get our eyes on the devil. We're to keep our eyes on Jesus. <laughs> Amen? Yeah, be aware. Don't be ignorant of his devices, Paul wrote in another epistle. Yeah, be aware. Know what he's up to, but keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't look at Satan. Don't look at, at your friends. We can get so distracted. The best of people will disappoint you. Christians will disappoint you. Brothers in Christ or sisters in Christ, they will disappoint, will, will always at some point in our life, we will be disappointed by people and pastors, right? Christians will be disappointed by them. And that's why we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. Don't spend your time looking at yourself either. Tearing yourself down or picking yourself apart by little pieces. I'm not this, I'm not that. I've done this, I've done that. Just take one good look at yourself and enough to know that there's nothing there. <laughs> you know, that you're, you're insufficient. And then put your eyes back on Jesus. And realize that God isn't surprised by what he sees in us. <laughs> he knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows what's in us. Don't look at yourself. Don't look at your circumstances. Remember Peter, when he took his eyes off of Jesus and the waves? Remember he's walking on the water? I mean, think about what it took for Peter to get out of a boat and walk on a storm, stormy water. I mean, whew, I don't, kudos to Peter for doing that. I don't think I could have done that. He took his eye, he said, the waves, right? He got his, he got distracted, and what happened? He started to go down. When we take our eyes off of Jesus and we start looking at the storms and the chaos around us, man, how easily we start going down. Don't look at your situation. Don't look at yourself. Don't look at Satan. Keep your eyes on the Savior. That's where our eyes are to be. We're to direct our focus on the person. We're also then to direct our focus with perseverance. He says, keeping our eyes on Jesus. And there's continual action there. It means look to him and keep looking at him. 
Don't, don't take your eyes away. Focus on him. Keep your eyes on Jesus day after day. Rainy days, sunny days when everything seems great. In fact, you, have you found this in your Christian life? Oftentimes, it's on the days when the sun is shining. And I know those are a lot of days here in Phoenix, but metaphorically speaking, the sunny days, you know, and life is wonderful where it seems like we take our eyes for a moment off Jesus and we fall on our face. The mountaintop experiences oftentimes, have you ever fallen off a cliff from the mountaintop? <laughs> you know, found yourself way down at the bottom. What, what is it about when we're at the mountaintops and we take our eyes off of Jesus and the good times and we fall on our face in our distraction? Keep your eyes on him day after day. And there's one other thing I want you to notice here is that as we direct our focus on Jesus, we do it in partnership. Because Paul says here, notice how many pronouns, he, pronouns here he uses. He says, since we have such a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every way. Let us run with patience, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Listen. We don't run in competition with one another, but we do run together. And we're to encourage one another. We're to help one another. We're to love one another. We're to pray for one another as we run this race. This is why the church is still necessary in 2024. It's still necessary. It's, it's needed in our lives as, as believers to get together with other believers and to spur one another on in the race that God has set before us. So spur one another on. When you see a brother or sister in the church getting discouraged, falling down on the race, come alongside them and say, sister, let, let, me, let me run with you. Brother, let me, let me run with you. Let me help you up. Don't, don't kick them while they're down. <laughs> Call them a, you dirty, rotten buzzard, get off the ground. No, don't, don't go there. Love them and help them up and run with them. God never intended for us to go it alone. So together, let's run the race in 2024. Amen? I'll tell you a little story about two boys. They were playing in the snow one day, and they agreed to see which of them could make the straightest path through the deep snow. I mean, this is how boys work. We, we can find a competition in anything. Right? I mean, it doesn't matter what it is, I'll race you, you know? So they decided they're going to see who could make the straightest path forward through the deep snow in the woods. Well, both boys locked their eyes on a tree far out in the distance, and that was going to be the, the finish line. And so they locked their eyes, and first boy, man, he locked his eyes, and he never took his eyes off. He just walked toward that tree. The second boy locked his eyes on that, on, a, on that tree, the goal, but every so often he would turn around and see how he was doing. Check how, you know, how straight he was going, you know, and, and in doing so, you know what happened. Really what was happening was his line was getting zigzagged, and when they both reached the destination and they looked back, it was the boy who kept his eyes fixed on the goal. In church, this is what this looks like for us in the Christian life. We must 
keep our eyes on Jesus. Detect anything that deters your focus, hindrances, sins. Discard them, lay every hindrance, every sin aside so that we can direct our focus on Jesus and run the race with endurance that he has set before us. Do you ever hear this old song, It Will Be Worth It All? You know what? It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. It goes like this. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. Just one glimpse of his dear face, all sorrows will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. The day's coming when we will see Jesus with our very eyes. Wow. We're going to see him face to face. Right now, we see him in our mind's eye. We, we look to him, though we can't see him. We believe and we trust him and our hope is in him. He's our example. He's our Savior and our Lord. But one day, our faith will be made sight. And it will be worth it all, right? All the trials, all, all, the, all the stuff that we face in this life, it'll all be behind us in that moment. So let's run for that day.